creation waits for its moment. Can a nation be saved in a day? Can a country rise in a moment? Every nation waits for its time. And this gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. All of heaven waits for its church. The legends of the faith are waiting and watching for the church to finish what they started. The Creator waits for you. We stand in an unprecedented time when any person on the planet can be impacted face to face, when entire nations can be reached with a click. No other generation could say this. In this new era, we must dream with heaven's scope to influence the influencers, alter the message of the messengers, unify the divided and disciple nations. Since the birth of this movement in 2013, One Nation One Day has swept across three nations, mobilizing 8,000 international missionaries, reaching more than 2.5 million people face to face and millions more through media. Together, we stood in awe as entire nations encountered historic national reconciliation, measurable change, and sustainable follow-up. Now, the movement advances to a new continent, a new nation, home to the third largest city in the Western Hemisphere, the longest river on the planet, peaks that stretch above the clouds, one of the seven new wonders of the world, unreached people groups, unparalleled culture, and 30 million people waiting. One Nation One Day is uniting local churches from across the globe with the goal of sending 5,000 missionaries to join 5,000 Peruvian team members, assembling the largest missions team in history. 10,000 missionaries of all ages and all spheres of influence will be placed strategically throughout the nation with the goal to reach millions of people face to face. In cooperation with the government, the schools of the nation will open to our teams. Hundreds of medical professionals will serve thousands of families in free clinics and additional relief programs will embrace communities in extreme need, opening the heart of the nation. Because the hero of One Nation One Day has always been the local church, thousands of pastors will carry this vision of transformation and unite in national leaders' conferences to be equipped, empowered, and positioned to lead. Then, on June 29, 2019, in the largest venues across the cities, the jungles, and the highlands, the nation will unite with one vision and one voice. Broadcasted live across the nation, millions will hear the message and commit to the movement that will shape the future. Can Peru be saved in one day? This moment will be recorded in the history books of heaven as the most significant spiritual moment in the history of this nation. Come on, can we put our hands together for Jesus this morning? Come on, go ahead and take a five-second praise break. If you got a reason to be thankful, if you got a reason to be grateful, if you came full and expecting God to move and encounter your life, come on, Influence Church, you can do better than that. God don't need a golf clap. Such an honor to be here. Why don't you hug on a few people, let them know how good you look and how good they look. It is uh, such a, an honor and a privilege. And, and who's excited about Peru? Anyone want to go? 
Before I get into uh, all the formalities, I will say, because some of you are saying, I've never heard of this, or I've just watched this before, I don't know who you are, uh, what's going on, and uh, it looks like there's a lot of people, you know, we, we started One Nation One Day in 2013, the First Nation was Honduras, and you'll hear more in the message, uh, but I want to talk about what happens in the aftermath, because for us, One Nation One Day is a moment that creates momentum for a movement, so when we get to that main day where hundreds of thousands of people have crashed every stadium in a nation and millions of people have been reached that week face to face, for us, that's not the end. That's the beginning. And the first One Nation One Day was in 2013. And uh, it was the murder capital of the world. Before One Nation One Day, there's more murders per day per capita than anywhere in the world outside of a war zone. Uh, the economy had completely collapsed. Corruption had penetrated every aspect of society. Students were attending uh, an average of 37% of the required school days a year due to teacher strikes and corruption. The nation was hopeless. One year after the first One Nation One Day, we sat with a new president, and the murder capital of the world had a 70% reduction in murders per day. All acts of violence across an entire nation dropped 38%. The suicide rate dropped 70%. Domestic abuse violence dropped 44%. They have had more consecutive school days than the last 25 years of the nation's school history. They had their first peaceful election in 20 years. The number one drug cartel left the nation. The largest gang disbanded. And as a new president put his hand on a Bible, as he got elected, he said, we have a new nation under God. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> It's what I love about this church is its name's influence. That's what the church is supposed to do. So we believe at missions.me that the purpose of the Great Commission is not simply that the church would grow or go, but that the church would lead. The Great Commission, which just so you know, I'm sorry I'm preaching already. I haven't done anything. I didn't do this first service. This is special just for you, for those watching online. But for us, we've actually taken the Great Commission, which many of you know, Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And we've used this as a missions verse. So when you hear the Great Commissions, it's like, oh, it's, you have to use a Jedediah. You're talking about missions. It's a missions verse. But we need to understand it's not a missions verse. It's a verse that states the mission. The Great Commission is the mandate for every believer. That's why it's not called the Great Suggestion. It's called the Great Commission, which means every human being in this place today that calls themselves a follower of Christ has been mandated by God to go and make disciples of nations. Now, we've reduced the Great Commissions to a missions verse and a mobilization verse, so we feel like we fulfill it because we go or because our churches grow. But that's not the purpose of the verse. The purpose of the verse is that the church would lead. Because for you to disciple anything or anyone or any city or any nation or any family, you have to be leading them. So the purpose of the Great Commission is not that the church would go or that the church would grow. The purpose of the Great Commission is that the church would lead. Lead who, Jedediah? Everyone. The mandate of the church is that every person would be encountered and led by the church, which means the church is supposed to occupy every sphere of influence, which is why your leaders have called this church Influence Church. Why? Because you're supposed to lead in entertainment. You're supposed to lead in government and politics. You're supposed to lead in education. You're supposed to lead in family. We should do it better than everyone. Why? Because we have the only true God. And that was all for fun and for free. Just want to, that's the purpose. And I believe that we are standing. I'm sorry, I'm just going to obey God. Maybe I'll preach what I preached earlier, but you need to know that we're standing in the best decade of ministry history since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the start of the early church. I'm so glad the five of you are like, yay, Christians. <laughs> like, we, we, are, we are in an unprecedented time. Do you realize right now we have the ability to reach every person with the gospel 
the 1.5 billion people that have never heard the name Jesus, now actually have the ability to be reached because of innovation, communication, transportation, and technology. 20 years ago, there was no internet. 25 years ago, there was no Facebook. 30 years ago, there was no live stream, which is happening right now. We actually are the first generation in human history that can actually expedite the return of Christ because everyone can be reached. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the church is starting to work together instead of work against each other which is the purpose of One Nation One Day, hundreds of churches, 33 different nations, five to six continents, all uniting, one vision, one voice, to see one nation changed in one day without logos, without labels, or without egos, with one person getting the credit. Anyone excited? What is, sorry, that was just, I had to get it off my chest. Makes me feel better. It, it is such an honor and a privilege to be with you. Uh, Dominic and myself, Dominic uh, is the founder of Missions.me, your organization, and our team, which we've, we had at the first service. Just absolutely love what God's doing here at your church. You need to know that you're a church of global significance, that a church that's six years old doesn't look like this, doesn't have number one uh, songs on Spotify, uh, doesn't do all the things that you guys are doing. I'm so glad you're excited that you're a part of something unprecedented. If you're visiting, man, you walked into a great church to call home, and we, none of us would be here if it wasn't for some crazy, blonde-haired, blue-eyed leaders that six years ago say, we want to start a church of significance right here in Anaheim. Can we give it up for your pastors, Pastor Phil and Tammy? Come on, can we honor your senior leaders this morning? And we've just fallen in love with them. And the fact that he wants to shut the church down, come on, somebody to take over a nation, is just like he's our favorite person. Um, I also got some special guests with me today. I got um, one of my best friends from all over the world, Jesse and his wife, Amber, came in from Michigan just to be here today. I got some of our missions.me team, some of our staff that's here that wanted to be a part. And uh, I got my hot and sexy wife. I can say that it's holy, it's under the blood, we're married, and uh, she is my miracle, and uh, you're hot, girl. Can you, just, can you just stand up to let people know how good you've been to me? Come on, you got to stand up. I'm going to get you on the cameras. Come on. Mm -hmm. Can I get an amen? <laughs> says that. We're getting, I'm never getting invited back. If you, <laughs> I do love you. 13 years, still in love, better than ever. I actually gave Pastor Nate the captivated message for offering. I go, man, I was at a wedding yesterday. I was just captivated by my wife. He's like, I'll use that for offering. To I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I can't dance either. But in heaven, but in heaven, man, I'm going to dance and sing in heaven. Can't do any of that now. Uh, anyone got their Bibles with them? Anyone got the genuine leather, inspired, inspired word of God? Have you got the real Bible? Can you hold it up quickly? Just see your real Christians. Come on. Just wanna, you've been carrying it been carrying it so long. Don't put it. Look, you've got a cover, highlighters, pink, yellow, and green. That's spirit-filled. All the way up. Come on, just hold it up. Just quickly, quickly. Hi, hi. Young people, come on, hold up. you got a Bible. Now keep it up if you're single. Look around. There you go, sir. You're welcome, ma'am. This is your day for a miracle. Don't grab your friend's Bible. He's like... Get your own, bro. You got to take it out of the wrapper and use it. Trying to get a free wife. If you got your Bible, if you got your Bible, turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 14. So excited. We got baptisms at the end of service. 
So prepare yourselves for those of you that are ready. We also have the ability, if you're saying, man, I, I haven't done that before, something happens, you can get spontaneously baptized, which means we got clothes for you to change into. We got blow dryers. We got towels. We got makeup kits for your girl. Like, seriously, like, you came in here pretty. You can leave pretty even post-baptism. So just start preparing your hearts. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Are you there? If you're not, it's on the screen. Uh, you're allowed to shout me down. You can say, preach it, white boy. You can say, I like your skinny jeans. You could say, go ahead. In fact, why don't you just yell something holy out? If it's a profanity, we're glad you're here. There's grace for your race, but maybe whisper it. Don't shout it. But for everyone else, just yell something holy, a hallelujah, and amen. Come on, just one, two, three. Yeah. I swear I heard someone go, Genesis. It's like, you're new to the response game. I get it. Like, table of contents. Oof. Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples... Disciples get back into the boat to, and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. Look to your neighbor and say, in trouble. Look to your second favorite neighbor and say, you in trouble. The disciples were in trouble for far away from the land for a strong wind had risen. They were fighting heavy waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, it's early people, Jesus came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, Patrick Swayze, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am he. Then Peter called him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Before I pray and before I really get into this message, I just got to be honest with you. There's many aspects of this scripture that I have problems with. See, I grew up a missionary's kid, lived in 100 homes before I was 25, for real, all over the world. My parents are still strong going after it. They're my heroes. And I just grew up knowing these stories. I was a flannel graph board junkie. Come on, anyone grow up in a flannel graph board? Right? She's like, yeah, that blue or pelt, you know, purple felt board with caricatures of the disciples and Jesus. That was like IMAX 3D for a younger generation that's not a millennial. Like, that was the jam. We didn't have screens, people. And uh, I just grew up hearing these stories. But as I got older, I just started reading them literally, like as if it was me in the story. And when I place me in this story, there's so many problems I have with it. First, this entire passage takes place B.C. I'm not talking about before Christ. I'm talking about before coffee. There was, they didn't have a coffee shop right here. There's no espressos. There's no double lattes. There's no mocha frappuccinos. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. They've had no coffee. For me, that's a bad day. That's a flush moment. There's no Jesus until I have coffee. So imagine, there's no coffee. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. They're exhausted. To make a storm worse, like storms suck. Have you ever been in a storm at sea? Like, it's horrible. The worst place you can encounter a ghost would to be in a boat in a storm. Like, to just add insult to injury, they're, they're being rocked by the waves, they're being blown by the wind, and then all of a sudden, a ghost shows up. Like, you're like, thank you, Jesus. Like, awesome day. At least I could have encountered this ghost in my home. But no, I'm on a boat, in a storm, I'm exhausted, I've had no coffee, ghost time, so fun. Now, once they get past the fact that this ghost is potentially Jesus, what happens next does not make sense, because Peter does not do what we would all logically do. None of you would do what Peter did, which is, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. You'd do that because you read the story. But if you're actually in this moment in the story, the logical conclusion, okay, Jesus, that's you. You're not a ghost. Whew, crazy. Wow, weird. Um, get in the boat. That's the logical next step. 
in the story. Jesus, that's so crazy. Water thing. Go. Why'd you be a ghost? Weird. We'll talk about it later. But seriously, in the boat. Just cool. You? Just in the boat. But Peter says, no, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Like, we see this and go, yeah, that's natural. No, you understand that there is not one recorded moment in biblical history before this where someone following Jesus walked on water. There was not a best-selling book called The Purpose Driven Walking on Water Life by Pastor Rick Warren. There wasn't a number one listen-to song on Spotify by Influence Music called Walking on Water. There's not a podcast, The Ten Steps to Walking on Water. There was no hashtags, We Walk on Water. There was no Instagram account about walking on water. There's no reference point. This had never been done. What was Peter thinking? Like, for real. Like, What? could possibly have been going through his mind what could have been the internal dialogue at 3 a.m. in the morning being buffeted by the waves and the wind, seeing Jesus in a form that he did not recognize to say the words, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to get out of the boat. What was he thinking? For the few moments we have this morning, I want to talk to you about why Peter got out of the boat. Anyone want to know why Peter got out of the boat? Can I pray with you today? Father God, I just thank you that you're here. God, that you're in this place. The Bible says that when we worship you, you inhabit our praises, which means the creator of the universe, the infinite God that time cannot contain, the God who carved the heavens with a breath and placed the stars in the sky, the God that, as we sung today, has no equal, has no rival, the undefeated reigning champion of humanity is not standing off at a distance this morning, but you've come into the room, which means the king is here. When the king shows up, everything changes. When the king shows up, so does his rule. So does his reign. So does the reality of his authority. When the king shows up, sickness leaves body. When the bodies, when the king shows up, relationships are restored. When the king shows up, everything that's not in alignment with his word comes back into alignment. So we thank you, king, that you are in the room today. And we give you permission, beyond my words, to do what you want to do. I thank you, God, that you did not come to make bad people good, but you came to make dead people alive. I declare that everything in here that's dead, that's supposed to be alive, would come back to life in Christ Jesus. We give you all the honor, all the praise. We love you. And all God's people said? All God's people said? Can I be honest with you guys? I'm going to be anyways, so thank you for giving me the permission. I don't like rules. I'm not, a, I'm not a big rule fan. Is anyone in here, like, love rules? Oh, you, sir. One. Anyone in here not like rules? Do we have any rule breakers in here? Like all the young people. They're like, yes, rebels. Anyone just not a fan of rules? Like, this is, just be honest. You can point out your spouse or the one you're dating. Put them on blast. They don't wear their seatbelt. They speed. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, a big, I'm not a big rule fan. I'm, I'm just not fond of the rules, and I'm not talking about the rules that protect us or keep us safe. I'm not talking about the biblical rules and principles of the faith. I'm talking about the stupid rules, the dumb rules. For me, where these stupid and dumb rules exist the most are at airports. In fact, if you don't make it to heaven and you were to go to hell, God forbid, the first person that you would be greeted by in hell would be a TSA agent, and then a gate agent, and then Lucifer, just in that order. Now, if you're a TSA agent, don't leave. There's a moment for you at the end of service. You can get baptized. We can get this thing all figured out. But if you work at John Wayne, you're the best TSA agent. Everywhere else, though, is horrible. But this is where these stupid rules manifest themselves. Think about it. You get into these security lines, right? And the first thing they do is say, take your belt off. Now, do you know why we have belts? 
I don't know if you've pondered why we have this apparatus that holds our clothing up around our legs. Like, it's not just so that we can make a fashion statement. It's functional. So they remove the device that God created to keep people clothed. And then the next thing is take your belt off because you're going to take over a plane with your belt, right? Oh, God forbid, he's got a belt. Take your belt off. The next thing they ask you to do is take your shoes off. Now you've, lose the, you've lost the mechanism needed to keep your pants on. So the next thing you're doing is bending over to take your shoes off. <laughs> Babe, please, not right, no, don't look. This is awkward. Massive displays of nudity in airports across America every day. Belts are off, pants are down, shoes are off. Do you know why we wear shoes? Can I just help you out? Because feet are ugly. I don't know how many bunions you filed down, girl, or how many pedicures you've got. You got that broken pinky toe. Come on, somebody, like, that's, that's the, I mean, so now you got pants, Pants down, belts off, shoes off. The aromas from the feet are going everywhere. And then they had the audacity to grope you in a way you've never been groped before. I was traveling recently because I, I traveled 250,000 miles last year. So it's like every time I go to an airport, I'm being tested by the enemy. 40 nights and 40 days in the wilderness. And, I, and I'm traveling and I start taking my belt off. And he goes, sir, you can keep your belt on. I was like, watch, watch what you're talking to me, man. I know, I know the rules here. And he goes, no, you can keep your belt on. And I was like, okay. And I start taking my sh shoes. Sir, you don't need to take your shoes off. What? What magical line am I in, first of all? Start taking my laptop out. Sir, you can keep your laptop in your bag. And I go, no, 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 no. I know the game now. I'm not going to get gloved today. Like, this is not, I don't know if you got a little thing. You randomly pick somebody. Like, he's getting gloved. Keep your stuff on, buddy. We'll take you in the back. I was like, no, no, no. And he goes, no, sir, you don't understand. We're, and then we're in an express line. And I go, express line? And he goes, yeah, this, we really have the advancements in technology. No one needs to take anything off. Also known as TSA pre-check now. You don't have to take anything off. You can just go through all of it. And I was like, why is there only express lanes? Why is there the non-express lane? And then I realized in that moment that if I was not in that line, I would be manifesting a demon. Because if I, if I don't have, if I have an issue with the rules, I have a greater issue when there's a set of rules that apply to some people but not others. I have a real problem when there's a set of rules that apply to a certain race, a certain age, a certain ethnicity, a certain gender, a certain standard that you have to live by but no one else does. I have issues with it. So I talked to my wife because my wife's like, my, I talked to my mom. My wife's like, you need help. Talk to your mom because she's like Oprah and the Holy Ghost. And I was like, mom, I have an issue with the rules. And, and I'm a pastor and a minister and I just, I, I, I lose it sometimes, especially at airports. I definitely had issues at airports back in the day. And she started telling a story about a three-and-a-half-year-old Jedediah, which it all made sense. See, when I was three-and-a-half years old, my parents relocated from Seattle, Washington, to suffer for Jesus in Hawaii. And this is really difficult life growing up there. And we lived in this condominium complex, and there's a pool right in front. And, and I was allowed as three-and-a-half years old, this is what missionaries did, to go swim in that pool. Like, my parents were like, we have five, but we lose one. Not a big, I'm just joking. I could go in the pool alone. I just had to have my floaties on. As long as I had my water wings, come on, my floaties. My parents would let me leave the house, go behind the gate, and go in the pool without them there. It's crazy. I don't, bad parenting. So one day, I'm, I'm squeaking down to the pool because it was my routine. I put on my water wings, my little strip of sunscreen. I'm walking down to the pool. I kick open the gate because it's my domain. I stand on the edge of the pool with my water wings, three and a half years old. And in front of me was a four-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl in the pool, swimming without floaties. I said what every three-and-a-half-year-old would say, the audacity. I had an extremely developed vocabulary as a young child. But the audacity, and it wasn't because I was a chauvinistic pig. I've never been that guy. It was because she didn't know the rules. Like, everyone knows the rules, right? The United States Constitution clearly states in Section 3, Article B, Paragraph 4, that you're not allowed to be within 50 yards of a pool without water wings, let alone in it. And I was like, does she not know the rules? 
and this chick could swim. She was like backstroking, breaststroking, the most complicated of all strokes, the butterfly. <laughs> I don't know how hard it is to air swim. It's really difficult. And I watched her, and this is what started going through my head. Three and a half years old, edge of the pool, floaty list. I started watching, and I just started thinking, if the, if the rules don't apply to her, then maybe they don't apply to me. If, if the rules don't apply to her, maybe they don't apply to me. If the rules don't apply to her, and I just kept thinking this and watching her, thinking this and watching her, I said, that's it, I'm going to jump in. Now, you can't just rip the water wings off. They're scientifically engineered to stick to your arms. Every parent knows. You're like, you can't come out. you got to pop the top, squeeze the plastic, let the air out. Psss. I told you I was smart. Psss. Dropped it. Other arm. Pop the top. Squeeze it. Psss. A lot of air in that one. Psss. Dropped it. Now I'm three and a half years old, edge of the pool, floaty list. If the rules don't apply to her, maybe they don't apply to me. If the rules don't apply to her, maybe they don't apply to me. I said, that's it. I jumped in. <laughs> and I swam, people, for 37 seconds. Come on. With that water wings on, I swam for 37 seconds until my dad jumped in, saved my life, pulled me out, spanked me like a good Assemblies of God pastor would back in the day. <laughs> don't laugh at my pain. But from that moment on, I never used the floaties again. I actually learned to swim that day. I taught myself how to swim. And I wonder, you might say, Jedidah, what does it have to do I, I, with this message? I just wonder if the same process going through my head as a three-and-a-half-year-old boy at the edge of the pool saying if the rules don't apply to her, maybe they don't apply to me, could possibly be the same thought process going through Peter's head at 3 a.m. in the morning, being buffeted by the waves and the wind, watching Jesus on the water, saying if the rules don't apply to him, then maybe they don't apply to me. Since we're not going to be able to wait right now to get to heaven to know that I'm right, let's just look at the journey that Peter would be on the last two and a half years that got him to this moment to understand what he saw and who he was following. This this Peter was a fisherman, and two and a half years before this moment on the water, he was at the ocean again, but this time he was cleaning his nets, and Jesus showed up, and he said, come, follow me. And instantly, he left his nets, he left his family, he left familiar, he left his comfort, and he began to follow Jesus, which became the journey of a lifetime. And quickly into following Jesus, you need to know that he realized that Jesus was not just another man. That Jesus was not just a philosopher. Jesus was not just a humanitarian. Jesus was not just a communicator or an orator. He quickly learned that this Jesus was God with skin on. That when Jesus spoke, miracles took place. When Jesus moved, the miraculous happened everywhere. That he did not live by the rules of this world. Think about it. His journey with Jesus starts off at a wedding. They're hanging out, and Jesus' mom comes up and says, hey, we have no more wine. Jesus is like, it's not my time. And she goes, I don't care. Do it anyways. And all of a sudden, there's some servants filling ceremonial basins with water. Now, you need to understand that the laws of physics clearly state that water will never be wine. There is no amount of pressure. There is no amount of chemicals that could be applied. There is no combustion process that could ever be applied to water to turn it into wine. It is a rule that limits the potential that water could ever be wine. 
But in that moment, knowing what the rules of physics stated, these servants who filled these basins with water, now overflowing with wine in front of Peter, the disciples, and then the crowd, quickly realized that the laws of physics don't apply to Jesus. He doesn't live by the rules of this world. This is who Peter was following. Peter is with Jesus when he preaches the greatest sermon of all times, the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes down from that mountain, and he's got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the crowd, and the critics, the disciples, and Peter. And all of a sudden, the encounter a man with leprosy. Now, you might not know this, but back in that day, there was actually a law of tradition that says you could not come in contact with a person who had leprosy. In fact, they would consider an outcast. And the law was that if an unclean person touched a clean person, that clean person would now become unclean, excommunicated from the community and ostracized and no longer given access to regular social status. That was a law of tradition that everybody knew, including Jesus. And in that moment, when Jesus encountered this man with leprosy, knowing the law, isn't it crazy that he did not speak his healing, but he had to reach out and touch his healing? And in that moment, as his skin began to be redeveloped, as his flesh started growing again, Jesus built a case that the laws of tradition do not limit him, that they do not apply to him. I don't know about you, but maybe there's a law of tradition or a rule of tradition that you live by that says this is how we worship, or this is what our family will do, or this is what legacy is going to look like, or this is where we're going to live, like this is what tradition says. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up and says, I don't live by the rules of tradition. Think about when Jesus heals the layman on the Sabbath. Not only is he giving mobility to a person who's never walked before, in that moment there's a rule called religion that said you could not do a miracle on the Sabbath knowing the rule. And in that moment when Jesus grabbed his hands and said, listen, stand up, and all of a sudden strength came back to his legs, mobility came back to his body, and he did it on the Sabbath. He built a case in front of Peter, the crowd, the critics, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees that even the laws of religion do not limit him. Is there some laws of religion that say here's how much of God we can have on a Sunday? Here's how much of an encounter we can have? That, that church is something you come to, not something you become? Isn't, that, isn't there some laws that come with religion? But 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, no, I'm not limited by the laws of religion. I don't live within the rules of religion because the rules of religion do not apply to me. That's what I love about this church with worship and encounter and experience and influence. Why? Because you have some pastors that say we're not going to live within what the church says we should look like six years in. Most churches don't look like this six years in. But you have a group of people here that says we won't be limited by the rules of religion. This is who Peter was following, this is what Peter was seeing. Think about every disability that was healed. Think about when a, a man who was born blind got his eyesight back. Do you know that even right now with the advancements of modern medicine, we cannot give someone who was born blind sight. Right now, we don't have the capacity through science and medicine to actually give someone born blind sight. There is a limitation to the rule of being born blind. But in that moment, when Jesus spit on some dirt and made some miracle mud and rubbed it in his eyes, he built a case that the rules of disability don't limit him, that he does not live by the rules of sickness or infirmity or a disease or a title or a label. Can I just say something, friend? I don't know what title's been given you. Maybe when someone said you're bipolar or you're schizophrenic or you're ADD or you're ADHD or you're OCD or you PTSD, but what about GOD? God showed up 2,000 years ago and says, I'm not confined to a label to a title, to a disease, to a sickness. I don't care what it is. You do not have to be limited by the rules of this world. Think about when 
Jesus is getting ready to feed thousands of hungry people, and this boy shows up with a filet fish Happy Meal. Now, we know a filet fish Happy Meal is not going to feed the front row, let alone the entire room, because there's some rules that come with lack or limitation. There's some rules that say you can only do so much with what you have. You could only be that because of your last name. You could only lead that because of your education. You could only own that because of what's in your bank account, right? There's some rules. You can only give that because of what the season or situation is. There's some rules that say you can only do so much with what you have. But as Jesus 2,000 years ago broke the bread and the fish and suddenly the first family was fed and then the first hundred were fed and then the next thousand were fed and then 5,000 were fed, so much so that there's baskets being created to, to store the harvest of abundance that came in that moment, he built a case that the rules of limitation don't limit him or apply to him. Can I tell you something, different? I don't care what you have in your hand. Have you got God in your heart? You have all that you need because we have a God that created everything out of nothing. He creates light before there's a sun, and he gives dirt a destiny before there's creation. Come on, somebody. He does not live by the rules of this world. This is what Peter was seeing. Peter's following Jesus one day, and there's a crowd pushing in all over, and a woman touches Jesus' garment. You know the story, the woman with the issue of blood, but she's not even the primary character for the context today. It's the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus waiting for Jesus at the other end of this moment. She's sick. She's in bed. Jairus has pleaded for Jesus to come, and he said yes. And while he's healing one, Jairus gets to report that his daughter is dead. He goes to Jesus, don't worry about it. Don't want to bother you. She's dead. I love how Jesus doesn't let death deter him from his destination. Isn't that amazing? Can I tell you something? If you're a Christ follower, I don't care if it looks dead, it looks over, if it's dark. We can't let death or the report of death or the report of darkness keep us from our destination. If there's death there, that's where we're supposed to be. If there's darkness there, that's where we're supposed to be. Why? Because darkness doesn't overshadow light. Darkness is just the absence of light. So if the entertainment industry is dark, it's because you're not there. The political, political environment's dark, it's because Christians aren't there. The absence of, the presence of darkness is not because darkness won, it's because light hasn't live there yet. Jesus doesn't let darkness or death deter him from his destination. And he begins to take the disciples with him and he gets to the house and outside is a crowd of mourners who quickly turn into a crowd of mockers teasing Jesus, spitting at Jesus, scorning Jesus. And Jesus goes into the house, but he doesn't take all of the disciples. In this moment, he takes James, John, and Peter. This is what Peter was seeing. And if you got to admit, if you were Peter in that moment, if I was Peter in that moment, this would be the moment we'd say, I feel like this is one rule you're going to have to live by. I, I get that you've broken the rules of laws and, and laws of physics and science and tradition and religion and disability and infirmity and pro provision. He even broke the laws of nature, calming storms. Come on, somebody. He goes, but we're talking about death, Jesus. It's over. It's final. What are we even doing here? As Jesus walks into that room 2,000 years ago and looks at his disciples and said, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Grabs her hand and he pulls that 12-year-old girl from death back into life. He begins to build a case to Peter, James, and John, eventually the mom and dad, the crowd waiting outside in the clinics, that even the rules of death do not limit our God. 
Can I tell you something, friend? I don't know what you walked in here today that you thought was dead, that you thought was over, that you thought was finished. Maybe you thought that dream was dead. Maybe you thought that business was dead. Maybe you thought that relationship was dead. Maybe you thought your marriage was dead. Can I tell you something, friend? If you still got breath in your lungs and blood in your veins, then God's still got a plan for your life. It is not over until he says it's over. It's not final until he says it's final. If you're not dead, God's not done. This is who Peter was following. And Jesus didn't just break the rules with his works. He broke the rules with his words. Think about it. He shows up and he says, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. You're like, uh, no, actually, if I'm number one in line. <laughs> he goes, no, it's an upside down, inside out kingdom. He says, the greatest of all, servant of all. It's not the one that has the most servants. It's the one that's serving the most people. AKA 21st century, it's not the one that's following the most people or the one that has the most followers. It's the one that's leading the most people and serving their destiny. That's the difference. He shows up and he says, guess what? My strength's perfected in your weakness. Is that crazy? He says, we have a society that says you're only as strong as your weakest link, but Jesus said, I'm only strong because of the weakest link. He goes, your mess is the perfect equation for my strength to be perfected. It didn't say his strength could work in weakness. It actually says the verse, it works best in weakness. Can I tell you something, friend? You need to know we have a God who breaks the rules. His unconditional, irrational, illogical love for each and every one of you breaks the rules. The fact that he's in love with you now, not the better you, the renewed you, the new you, a revised version of you, but the current you, the broken you, the messed up you, the hurting you, that breaks the rules. The fact that some of you are in church today breaks the rules. The fact that you could worship today or smile today breaks the rules. The fact that some of you are not strung out or addicted. The fact that some of you are not lonely anymore or empty or thinking about suicide that breaks the rules we have a God who uses the broken that's his specialty breaking the rules he does he, he does the phenomenal with the nominal and the extraordinary with the ordinary he's the master of taking broken pieces and making masterpieces we have a God who breaks the rules he breaks the rules so much that when he sends his son Jesus into humanity he refuses that he comes through natural conception because he can't live within the system of the day he has to be born of a virgin because our God refuses to live within the rules of this world. And now at 3 a.m. in the morning, being buffeted by the waves and the wind, Peter, who's been watching a rule-breaking God, sees him breaking the rules again. He's defying the laws of gravity. He's defying the laws of reason. And I believe that same thought process that was going through my head as a three-and-a-half-year-old boy in the edge of the pool, floatingless. the rules don't apply to her, then maybe they don't apply to me. If the rules don't apply to her, then maybe they don't apply to me is what gripped Peter at 3 a.m. in the morning. I've watched him break the rules of sickness. I've watched him break the rules of lack, of provision, of tradition, of religion. I've watched him break the rules of science, of reason. I've watched him break the rules. Jesus, if the rules don't apply to you, then maybe they don't apply to me. If the rules don't limit you, then maybe they don't limit me. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat and onto the waves. It's not a cool water. At this moment, everyone thinks it's still. It's roaring. It's raging. It's howling. And take step one and step two and step three. And what does Peter begin to do? He begins to break the rules. 
Now, friend, it's one thing if the rules don't apply to Jesus, that you could argue today, well, Jedediah, they still might apply to me. Right? Some of you are going, well, that's Jesus, Jed. But when Peter breaks the rules, Peter the denier, Peter the one who got rebuked, Peter the fisherman, Peter the blue-collar worker, Peter the one who talked before he thought, when Peter begins to break the rules by defying the laws of gravity and reason, he's the first person outside of Christ to ever walk on water. The rules don't apply to Peter, friend. Then do the rules apply to you? If the rules didn't lead to me, Peter, Jedediah, what are you saying? I'm saying that you've been given an invitation to break all limitation. That this rule-breaking life is for every believer. That if the rules don't limit Peter, that the rules don't limit us. You might say, well, Jedediah, you don't understand my culture. You don't, you don't understand, you know, where I come from. I do understand your culture. You've been given a kingdom culture. Yeah. Well, Jedediah, I'm not like you. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to shout. That's, that's not what it looks like where I come from. Well, I actually know where you come from. You're a citizen of heaven. Well, Jedediah, that's not my personality, like just to be bold or courageous. Well, what does the Bible says in Romans 8? The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. So I might know your personality, friend, but I know the person of Jesus lives inside of you. And for three years, he built a case that he cannot live by, be confined by, or operate in the rules of this world at all. So what are you saying, Jedediah? It's time to get out of the boat. It's time to defy reason and to defy logic and to defy comfort. It's time to get out of your comfort zone because your comfort zone is your coffin. It's going to kill you and the Christ inside of you. The church was not made to live in a boat. Christians were made to live in comfort. There's no such thing as complacent Christianity. We were called to break the rules. I'm looking for some rule breakers this morning. I'm looking for people that say, I don't... I don't care what it looks like. I mean, think about one nation one day. I remember when we took the first team, there's like, you'll never get 2,000 people to come. You know the rules of limitation? You'll never, you'll never be able to charter 747s. You know, the first one nation one day, we, we, we put a million dollars down on 747s. We found out later that Honduras didn't have the capacity to land a 747. It's fun, fun moment. So we talked to the government and said the rules don't apply to us. Can you extend the runways? Can you add some asphalt and emergency response vehicles? We need this to be a Category 7. In 2013, we landed three 747s in that nation the first time in history because the rules don't apply to us. I remember when they said you'll never get a president to be on board. He wasn't just on board. He passed a bill through Congress making one nation one day a law, legally mandating every government entity, every municipality leader, the military, the Air Force to work with us. I'll never forget when they said, you'll never get non-Christians to partner with this campaign. And Coca-Cola cut a check to pay for 32 billboards and, and 150,000 posters and 5 million handles. Coca and guess what? Their logo wasn't on it. How crazy is that, right? Well, Jedediah, it makes no sense. Well, the rules don't apply to us. I remember when the largest cell phone company in, in, the, in the nation, we wanted to do a deal with them, and they were saying no. And they're like, you don't understand. We're, we, it's, a, it's a Christian campaign. We provide sh share codes for free and text all the people that respond. And I'll never forget the day they called me in their office and said, Jedediah, we're not just going to do what you've asked. We're going to text 5 million customers before the event, inviting them to come, geotagging the invite based on the event in their city so that they know the address of their city. And this all happened at one time. Why? Because the rules of the world don't apply to us. I remember when we did the first one, everyone said you couldn't do two. 
Now we, we did the second one. Everyone said, you got lucky twice. You can't do three. And we did Nicaragua last year. Now everyone said, you did, now, we're, now we're doing Peru. You're doing Peru. We're doing Peru. 5,000 missionaries, 5,000 Peruvians, the largest mission team in history, overtaking 32 million people. Why? Because the rules don't apply to us. And not us. Us. And I'm looking for some rule breakers this morning. I'm looking for a young person that the society is saying you have to have sex before marriage, but you're saying the rules of pressure and popularity don't apply to me. I'm going to show them what living pure for God looks like. I'm looking for someone who grew up in a battered home and were a product of abuse that says you should never have a destiny, that you should always be hurt, you should always be a victim. But friend, you're not a rescued victim, you're a redeemed victor, and today you're not going to live by the rules of abuse. I'm looking for someone who's been divorced, maybe grew up in a single parent home, and they said, listen, if you don't have a dad, you're going to have identity problems. But guess what? Those rules don't apply to you, and you do have a dad. His name is Father God. I'm looking for somebody in here today that says, I'm not going to live by the rules of this world any longer. I'm looking for a church that says we're not going to be confined to these walls or what the growth of a six-year-old church could be, but we're going to break the rules because the rules. Do I have any rule breakers? Come on, do I got any rule breakers in the house today? Do I got anybody that has some passion and some fire that says, I will not be confined? It's time to get out of the boat. It's time to get out of your comfort. For some of you that's leading a linked group, for some of you that's joining a linked group, for some of you it's getting baptized in a few moments you might have made a decision, but you've never been baptized. You've never made this public declaration of faith. Or maybe something inside of you is just saying, i got to do it again. I'm looking for someone that's ready to go. Oh, that's me breaking the rules. For some of you, it's going home today and breaking up with that boy or breaking up with that girl. It's, it's, it's getting over that situation. Whatever that looks like for you, it's time to break the rules. Because we weren't made to live by the rules of this world. Can I pray with you this morning, church, if I could get heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to pray for two groups of people today. First group of people I want to pray for, you're here today and maybe you've never been in a worship experience like this. Maybe you've never uh, seen a, a, a preacher sweat or yell so much. But if you were to be honest, something inside of you is saying this is real. Something inside of you is saying this is right. Something inside of you is saying this moment is for you. Friend, if you were to have a personal conversation with me, if the crowds were gone, it was just me and you, maybe the dialogue would look like this. Jedediah, I can't do it on my own. I've tried to kick the habit, I can't. I try to get out of debt, I can't. I try to store my, restore my marriage, I can't. I've tried to get identity or security or peace, I can't. I've tried to get over the pain of the past, I can't. What you're really saying, friend, is I need help. If you're here today saying, I need help, your soul's saying, you need Jesus. He's the only one that can fill the God-shaped hole inside of your heart that's missing. He's the only one that can take your worst and create his best. He's the only one that can save you, restore you, redeem you. He's the only one. If you're here today, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to have Jesus come into your heart, to receive this gift of God's grace which is forgiveness, something you do not earn, something you do not deserve, something you never could work for or be worthy of. It is a gift you have to receive. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for one other group of people in that same conversation. You might be here today and saying, Jedediah, I've made this decision. 
but I'm not actively following Jesus. Hear me, friend, there's a difference between a decision and a conversion. A decision is making a decision in a moment. A conversion is changing your life forever. And some of you, you do church or you've done Christianity, but you're not following him. You don't even know where Jesus is. You don't know what the next step should be. You're not actively pursuing him daily. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Can we just say this all together? Can we say this out loud, Influence Church? Can we say, dear Jesus? Come on, let's say this with boldness. Dear Jesus, I need you. I've made mistakes. I've messed up. And I need you in my life. Would you come into my heart today? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me brand new? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. From this moment forward, I am yours and you are mine. In good times and bad, in sickness and in health, till death brings us together. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Just a few more moments. We're going to transition over to Pastor Nate. A few more moments. But if that was you, you said that prayer today, whether it was your first time or your 50th time, but you meant it. In fact, you say, Jedediah, I needed to say that prayer. I meant it when I said that prayer. Thank you for helping me say that prayer. In view of eternity and what Christ did for me in this moment, please include me in this prayer. If that was you, heads bowed, eyes closed, just between me, you, and God. Wanted to, needed to, meant it when you said that prayer. Could you just raise your hand to let me know who you are? See the hands, 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 hands. So many hands, hands, hands. So many hands, hands all over, hands in the back. So anyone else, just quickly. I mean, there's literally 30, 40 hands raised. Anyone else just quickly wanted to, needed to, meant it. Incredible, incredible. Anyone else, just take one more moment. So beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you could put your hands down, if you could put your heads up. In fact, if we could just stand, and as we're standing, can we just put our hands together for every hand that was raised? Come on, Influence Church. Come on, Influence Church. Every... Thank you so much for this morning. For those of you that raised your hand, just look at me for one second. The worst thing you could do is leave here and go do life alone. An isolated Christian is a defeated Christian. We were created to do life in community, which is why leading or being in a linked group is so significant. And if you, if you said yesterday, I want to make sure you stop by our link center on the way out. We have a free resource for you. You don't want to miss it. And you need to let somebody know what you just did so that you can start the journey. And for those of you that... You, you've said the prayer before, but today you're recommitting to following him. It's time to take a bold step of faith today. Do something you have not done yet today. And I want to encourage you, you found a great place to call home. We want to welcome you home. We want to welcome you into a family at Influence Church. And I really feel there's many people in here that you've done baptism before, but God's saying do it again. I just feel there's just a moment. It's just a new baptism. This is a, it's a rebirth for many of you. This day. God was breaking you out of your comfort and complacency. You said yes to him, and you've been on this, dig, this decline life towards average. But God's saying, I made nobody to be mediocre, and there's nothing that he does that's average. And you are his perfect work that he wants to bring greatness in and through to the entire world. Amen. I can't wait to see you all in Peru as we change the nation together. Can we give God a shout of praise?